Welcome to C's for Creepy. My name is Elise. And my name's Courtney. Join us every week as we discuss our favorite true crime and paranormal stories. From A to Z. Welcome back to another episode of C is for Creepy. Thank you so much for tuning in to last week's episode. We love seeing all of the views and downloads. It's always great to see. Um, we're going to get right into it because this week's episode is going to be hefty. She a long so one. hefty. <laughs> yeah, she's a long one. And I don't know, like, Courtney and I kind of know what each other's covering. So be prepared for some ranting. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Hopefully <laughs> you are going on a road trip and you enjoy the sound of our voice. So, <laughs> Right? I don't know if I'm going to like the sound of my voice by the time I'm done. <laughs> I hear that. But let's buckle up. Yeah. It's going to be a wild ride. What is your W? So for W this week, I am going to be covering Wealthy Bastards. Yes. I'm so excited. So if you can't tell by the title when I was writing these notes, I was just in a shitty mood. <laughs> so I purposefully picked a topic that I could just rant about. And I made that W work for me. <laughs> That's fair. If it's a stretch, it's a working stretch. <laughs> All right. When covering topics of wealth, there are things we do have to discuss. First, there's a debate about when inequality truly reared its ugly head. However, many anthropologists agree it wasn't until agriculture developed around 12,000 years ago and societies no longer had to rely on hunter-gatherers for sustenance. Mm -hmm. So as soon as people can farm and hoard a supply, yep, that's when people wanted to keep what they have earned yeah okay when comparing human society before agriculture was commonplace there was evidence that members of groups which were generally around 20 people Mm -hmm. they, they were in the tens they weren't in the hundreds it was smaller groups of people they all contributed contributed labor for the well-being of the group equally this shift to hoarding resources instead of gathering what was needed was part of the rise of inequality. I read a few different articles on the subject and there's a lot of information to unpack but the breakdown is that with storage-based labor such as crop farming it led to new societal issues such as land ownership, inherited wealth, coerced labor, surplus resources, and intercommunal violence which those things weren't issues before because you had tribes of people that worked as a team. Well, they worked as a team, but they were also, most of them were nomadic, right? Because you could only gather so much in an area for so long Mm -hmm. before you had to pack up and move. Yep. So, and once again, it's the, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. So everybody looked out for each other because that is how you survived. Mm -hmm. With this horde base wealth, That changed. Yeah. Now that we know the fundamentals, let's chat about some of the effects that wealth can have on a person. Arrogant? (laughs) uh, Yeah, namely. (laughs) (laughs) 
A person's socioeconomic class can either open a lot of doors for them or they could weld them shut. Okay. Those with immense wealth have opportunities such as education, access to better health care, when they can retire, and also how they are treated by law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Yep. Some interesting studies done by UC Berkeley, Harvard, and the University of Utah suggest that wealth can cloud moral judgment. Yes, we've seen this many times. But we've also got the science to back it up. <laughs> In an article published in 2012 titled Affluent People More Likely to Be Scofflaws, there were two separate field studies done which observed a four-way intersection. It was found that drivers of more expensive vehicles were four times more likely to cut off other vehicles and three times more likely to cut off a pedestrian. Oh, so my car's much nicer. I'm but yet, I'm gonna drive more recklessly. Right? What, well, in what logic does that make sense? To be fair, though, like, I don't know about you, but driving around the city, there's lots of times where I'm like, oh, yeah, you're use- you're driving a BMW? Why would you use your signal light? <laughs> Come right into me. It's fine. <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> I guess that- BMWs. <laughs> I guess that definitely shows, like, the class system here, because, like, if I get a new car, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is my baby, I'm gonna drive 10 under the speed limit, nobody's gonna touch it. Yeah, it's a pavement princess, we we don't want to wreck it, it's, yeah. yeah. No dirt roads, only premium gas, or nothing. No. But then you get people cutting you off in BMWs, and you're just mm-hmm. like, the fuck, bro. Mm-hmm. This is just one of the examples of the number of studies done which demonstrate that ethics do not take precedence in those who have an affluent mind. A famous experiment in which two people are playing Monopoly, and during this game of Monopoly, one of the players is allowed to roll with an extra dice, and they also receive more money for passing go. But this experiment gave some rather interesting findings. The player with the extra help inevitably wins the game. But while they are playing, they can increasingly, they they start to present as more like cocksure, their ego starts to inflate, they're more just cocky in general. Mm -hmm. Even aggressive. And like they actually measured the table and the person with the extra help would like start taking up more space on the table. Oh. You, like, they could just, you could physically measure how... How much extra space they're taking up with their ego. Exactly. Okay. When the game is finished, each player is asked what could have been done to change the outcome of the game. The rich player was twice as likely to talk about strategy and how they earned their win, despite the obvious inequality taking place during the game. So this is paper, like, fake money, and they're talking about strategy. And then we get articles from wealthy people who had wealthy parents saying, you just need to know what you're doing. Like, you just need to strategize. You just want, you just have to want to work. Yeah, exactly. Maybe just work harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 100%. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just do better. Yeah. Obviously. What do you mean? Like, 
I had to work hard. I only had help from my parents. Yeah. I had a small loan of a hundred thousand or of what was it, a million dollars? I know. When talking about wealth and the justice system, there are even more interesting findings. There was a paper published in 1995 titled Rich Get Richer and the Poor Get Prison, which breaks down how due to the leniency towards white-collar criminals in comparison to nonviolent crimes. So we're talking like drug charges, like possession of drugs, which... I Which mean, could put someone away for 15 years if you're poor. Or if you're a person of color, or you're just got a dick cop. Any amount of reason, but if you are rich, mm-hmm. it's a blip on the system. Nobody cares. No. Like, look at all of the high-profile cases and trials that go on, and everyone's just openly talking about all the drugs and alcohol and partying that happens, and it's like, I'm sorry buddy over here was arrested for a little bit of pot in his pocket for 50 years and put in jail Mm -hmm. maybe not 50 but then we're just we have photos of jars of cocaine and this is fine and dandy yeah nobody cares hookers are there that's cool i'm sure those nice women were just there to entertain like talk about the difference of acceptable Mm -hmm. not cool no so it also found that those considered to be affluent offenders were given shorter prison sentences, if any, compared to a poor offender who committed the same crime. Not only that, but bail is often set not proportional to an income, right? So what would be, like, extronomical for someone who comes from a poor economic background like that's not feasible they're stuck in Mm -hmm. jail whereas someone from a wealthy family is like five thousand dollars yeah that's nothing yeah that's tuesday Mm -hmm. by skewing these numbers and findings it is made to look like people with lower income commit a majority of the crime when that is not the case It is because we live in a society that punishes the poor and congratulates the wealthy. Remember, if the punishment for a crime is a fine, then the law only exists for the lower class. (laughs) We're getting somewhere. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, Yeah, it's quite disgusting, Mm -hmm. actually. You would think if you are a wealthier person, you should be held to a higher standard than other people like you have the wealth you have the influence you have the ability to make change but you're making poor decisions that's okay we'll just cover your butt mm-hmm. not no no but like that's not even talking like getting into the ethical treatment of people mm-hmm. in order to, for them to like grow their own wealth so these like, for example, business owners that make clothing lines, but do they pay labor wages in their, like, in America? No, they export it to China, where they can pay less labor. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're rich, but on whose back? Exactly. Oh, yeah, totally. It was one of the examples. So, with these fun findings in mind, let's get to my case. Ooh. 
I am going to be covering Jeffrey Epstein. Yes. So this is a very tricky case, since there is a lot of mystery with this self-made millionaire. I also found it very annoying to research, since a lot of the articles that I was finding from, like, the early 90s and 2000s were, like, fluff pieces. Very much so. Mm. Which, I mean, I get... Um, I actually read a really good Vanity Fair article that at first I was like, Jesus Christ, not another description of this loser's house. <laughs> but it was actually an incredible article. It was really well done how the investigation had written, like how she had written her investigation to really convey what she was actually seeing, mm-hmm. but make it acceptable for every reader. Yeah. Okay. And like to kind of slip it past because Epstein actually had to like approve it first so he still approved it after he was under was this before or after this was before the first prison sentence so like it got in there it it was really really good okay either way um anyways I listened to truth and lies Jeffrey Epstein, which was very well done. It was a podcast done. So that one was really good. I also watched um, Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich, and super well done as well. There's lots and lots of victim interviews, which adds a lot of depth to the story. See, I think I... Was that one on Netflix? Yeah. Okay, I only got through, I think, like, three episodes. Okay. And, boy, it was... Because he would just take schoolgirls. Well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. There's He's a disgusting human being. He is. Is he a human being? I don't know. I'd like to think that humanity wouldn't do that. Ugh. <laughs> Subhuman. <laughs> yes. Huh. That's funny because it fits, but I'll tell you about that later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will say that This was a very private man for a reason. He controlled the narrative of his life. The means used to accumulate his wealth were unscrupulous, and what Epstein did with his wealth was disgusting. To take a glimpse into this man's life, at least what he allowed to be shown is frankly unsettling. Oh no. I think the best way to encapsulate his personality was actually from a 2003 Vanity Fair article which mentions a part of his decor and that was a taxidermied black poodle placed on a grand piano. The fuck? When asked, Epstein was quoted saying, I want people to think what it means to stuff a dog. Just like a window into who we're discussing. The actual fuck. Right? Like, what the fuck does that mean? That could be taken so many different ways. What the author of the article had said was she felt like he needed to have the final word. Gross. He was born on January 20th, 1953 in New York City, in Brooklyn, to his parents, Pauline and Seymour Epstein. His mother was a homemaker, and his father worked as a gardener and groundskeeper for the New York City Parks and Recreation Department. So he had a humble upbringing. Yes. Okay. Ideally. Yeah. So actually, despite growing up in a working class neighborhood, it was still a 
private gated community called Seagate. So like it was one of the only gated communities on the island. Mm-hmm. So like it it just like I think it kind of there's still that separation from people, which I don't think was good for Epstein, for Jeffrey. I don't think it's good for anybody. No. No. I agree. Epstein attended Cornet Institute of Mathematical Sciences at New York University, but he dropped out in 1974. This did not dissuade Epstein from gaining employment as he was hired September 1974 as a math and physics teacher at Dalton High School, which was an elite private school. Knowing what I know, that's gross. It was noted that despite being inappropriate towards a number of the female students, there it is. He was dismissed from his position due to poor performance in 1976. Hmm. It was while teaching at this high school that Epstein made connections to Alan Greenberg, who was the chief executive officer at Bear Stearns, a global investment firm. After losing his position at the high school, Greenberg offered Epstein a position. Epstein worked his way up the ladder with his first role being a junior assistant to a floor trader, but after just four years, he became a limited partner. Wow. He held this position briefly with Bear Stearns, However, he was asked to leave in 1981 after violating regulations. So, in this case, violating regulations means that it was found that he lent $20,000 to a friend for them to buy stock at his firm. (laughs) So, insider trading. (laughs) Yeah. And lots of people, even those involved, say different things regarding that in particular. Epstein himself says, like, oh, no, that." That didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I I quit. Like I was I was just, I just quit abruptly. Mm-hmm. And then some people say like, no, you were insider trading. And then other people who worked at the farm said like, no, he wanted to start his own business. He didn't want to work for anybody else. I, I'm sure the actual answer is the insider trading. Yeah. But it just shows how manipulative these facts can be. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Once again, though, Epstein landed on his feet as he took this opportunity to launch his own consulting firm, Intercontinental Assets Group, and that was in August of 1981. What he did the majority of the time was recover stolen money from fraudulent companies or lawyers. He also took risky investments on behalf of his clients, some of which did not pan out. Regardless, he was being hired by affluent people and government to work on their behalf, leading to connections with other like-minded people. So it's, once again, different stories, but either a defense contractor or an attorney general introduced Epstein to Stephen Hofberg. The luck of this man. I don't know if it's luck. Or he's just really good with people. I had read that, like, so he was introverted, like, he was an introvert person, but he was... Did he mask well? I think so. He did a good job of making connections, and he was said to be very charismatic. You know, they said that about Ted Bundy, but (laughs) um, this is why you and I are not rich, is because we 
Are we don't have any stats in charisma? Oh, I know. <laughs> like, uh, you actually probably have better than I do because people say you're a nice person. <laughs> <laughs> you just know the truth. <laughs> <laughs> apparently not good enough uh, i only have a one star <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> Jesus. yeah i'm bad at building connections i'll be it's the first to admit Ugh. the same i don't like talking to people no that's why we have a podcast and we do it from our basement yes <laughs> <laughs> oh man so, right away, Hoffenberg hired Epstein as a consultant at his company. Wait, I thought he didn't want to work for anybody. He's not, like, directly hired. He's hired as a contractor. Okay. So, okay. it's his firm working for his company. Okay. Working for Hoffenberg's company. Okay, so Hoffenberg's company was called Towers Financial Corporation, which was known to be a collection agency, and this was in 1987. So Epstein was paid $25,000 per month for his work, which include unsuccessful bids to buy different airlines. These attempted takeovers is alleged to have been conducted by Epstein and involved stealing $3 million in bonds to buy airplanes, sorry, to buy the airline stock. So. Okay. It's, like, super convoluted how they tried to do it. It was basically forging checks from investors and, like, making it seem... Sorry, just making fraudulent accounts. Mm -hmm. So it looked like they were worth a lot more than they were. Okay. And then using the money from the investors to attempt to buy these stocks. Okay. Okay. So was he a stockbroker? He was not a stockbroker. And, in fact, he was trading stocks, but it was done so illegally. Because he was not a licensed stockbroker. Okay. Okay. So he had no paperwork to back him up whatsoever on any of these jobs. Just the luck of the draw. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No True. formal education. Well, he did do his two years. No formal degrees. No formal degrees. Okay. Okay, so in 1993, it was discovered that Towers Financial Corporation was actually a giant Ponzi scheme, mm -hmm. which took over $450 million from its investors. Nice. Epstein left the company in 1998, and although being named as being intimately involved with the scheme, charges were never brought against him. Because he was a contractor. How did he know what they were doing? Well, and like Hoffenberg had said that... He was the one, like, coming up with these, like, with some of these plans, and he was the one involved, and he was doing these illegal trades. And Epstein was like, well, I know people higher up. Who are they going to believe? You who just got charged or me? Mm-hmm. So that's why until everything else about Epstein was really coming out, these things were quiet. Mm-hmm. In 1988, Epstein started a financial management firm and decided to name it after himself. He claimed that J. Epstein and Company was a firm whose clients' assets were worth $1 billion. Or more. Solid. The only confirmed billionaire who retained this service was Leslie Wexner, 
the CEO of L Brands, so that includes like Victoria's Secret, Bath and Body Works, all that fun stuff. Okay. Although the two had met in 1986, the following year Epstein became Wexner's financial advisor. By the time 1991 rolled around, Epstein had become Wexner's full power of attorney. This granted Epstein to do anything of a legally binding nature on Wexner's behalf. So that includes any sort of banking, hiring, management, proper, like anything on Wexner's behalf. Oh, that doesn't seem very smart. Uh, I agree. Despite never being explicitly hired by L. Brands, Epstein was placed into a number of powerful positions, such as being the director of the Wexner Foundation and the president of Wexner's property. Epstein was charging millions of dollars in fees for his services. This is without the added benefit of being a billionaire's right-hand man. So he's a con man. Yes. He is a snake oil charm seller. Well, yes and no, because, like, so when he was first working for, like, the stocks, like, he was gaining skills. He does have an intimate knowledge of people that have money. And, like, as a financial advisor, he did well. Mm -hmm. So he had the skills and he had the confidence to say, like, hey, I'm a work, I come from a working class background, but I understand the mindset of a billionaire. Mm -hmm. They just they don't really care about spending money. They just do not want to lose their money. Yeah. So that is what he embraced and used to build these connections and keep these relationships. Mm-hmm. So, like, he was putting the work in. He just didn't have the background necessarily to fully fit in okay. to that society. Mm-hmm. Or degrees or formal education or any of that fun stuff. Yeah. But the skills were there. So Epstein had access to Victoria's Secret shows and was known for helping aspiring models get positions as one of the angels. Oh, nice. In 1996, Epstein renamed his firm's name to Financial Trust Company and based it in the U.S. Virgin Islands. This allowed him to reduce his federal income taxes by 90%. How? Because when you're banking off stores, mm-hmm. like it's not it's like it's in the continental US, so their tax breakdowns are different. Oh. So it's got the added benefit of being a part of the United States bank banking system. Yep. Without the tax implications. Oh. That's great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is really shitty because even now to this day, we have no idea how much money he actually had because of how spread out it was. Mm-hmm. We only know what he had in assets, which oh. is like his houses. We don't know the full paper trail. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is very smart if you're doing illegal activities. Mm-hmm. Because then you always have funds somewhere. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So at this point, Epstein was worth millions, but the exact amount is unknown. He owned multiple properties, including a large townhouse in New York City. He also owned a 
5,700 square foot house on a 10,000 acre property in New Mexico. A $2.5 million house in Palm Beach, Florida. Apartments in Paris. And of course, the famous island called Little St. James, which is part of the Virgin Islands. Wait, he owned an island? He actually ended up owning two. He just bought Little St. James first, and then he later bought just St. James Island. Okay. Normal size St. James Island. Okay. He owned a private jet, and he also would eventually own a 747 airplane as well. Wow. While not keeping any girlfriends for an extended period of time, Epstein did keep the company of young, beautiful women. The couple of girlfriends that he was public with include... Ghislaine Maxwell, the daughter of Robert Maxwell. This socialite was never married Epstein, but she did manage both his public and private life. Oh. The first criminal complaint in the United States against Jeffrey Epstein was made by Maria Farmer in 1996. Ooh. Farmer was first introduced to Epstein after selling paintings to the man at a discount on the request of the university's dean, that has been disputed, that the dean was involved, but alas. Later, Epstein offered Farmer a position in his employ. The girl would manage who had access to his house, basically sitting at a desk to sign people in and out of the New York City mansion. Okay. While there, she reported that there was cameras recording bedrooms and bathrooms. Ew. Mm-hmm. So her younger sister, who was 16, had been given an opportunity to travel that summer, paid for by Epstein. Oh. And as a part of this deal, she had to spend a weekend with him at the New Mexico Ranch. The young sister or the old sister? The young sister. Oh. So she was brought to the house in New Mexico, and it was also called the Zorro Ranch. There, she was molested by the man. Mm. Later that year, in 1996, Farmer also had an incident where Epstein molested her and then attempted to bribe her to keep quiet. Refusing to do so, Maria Farmer confirmed her younger sister had also been assaulted by the man, so attempted to file a report in New York City. Mm-hmm. Since both incidents happened over state lines, like the New York City police were like, this isn't our jurisdiction. You gotta go to the FBI to make a complaint. So that's what Maria Farmer did. Good. However, the FBI did not do anything or the sisters did not hear anything regarding this complaint. Cool. Until many years later. Mm-hmm. Of course not. Because what are two young women going to out say a billionaire mm-hmm. well for sure a hundred millionaire right <laughs> so let's get to 2005 a woman contacted florida's palm beach police department to report that her 14 year old stepdaughter had been paid 300 dollars to strip and give an older man a massage A different girl had taken this 14-year-old to a mansion, and the girl knew that his name was Jeffrey. 
This call and subsequent interview of the girl regarding the inappropriate massage led to an undercover investigation of Epstein by Palm Beach police. A solid case was built. Okay. Interviews were conducted with five known victims of Epstein, and there was also 17 eyewitness statements. 17? Eyewitness statements. From, like, cleaners? Most of the staff didn't really talk, but, like, neighbors, um, as well, there was, so, here, I'll, da, da, da. So testimonies from teenage girls who were from low-income homes testified first being paid for sex acts under the guise of giving massages, but soon the much older wealthy man had asked them to recruit other girls. So some of these girls, like, he would make a move and he, those girls would shut him down. Like, no, we're not doing anything of that nature. Mm-hmm. But Epstein saw that as an opportunity so he would offer them money if they brought more young girls to him. Oh. And he would pay those recruiters. Mm-hmm. So when I say like 17 testimonies, it's some of these are the recruiters oh. giving the testimonies. Mm-hmm. Allegedly, it was specified the younger the better. Ew. It was known these recruiters would receive a finder's fee for bringing new girls for Epstein's pleasure time. It was alleged by a former employee of Epstein that he would receive three massages a day. Wow. The wealthy financier had essentially built a pyramid scheme ensuring that he had a steady intake of young girls to satisfy. MLM of young women? Literally. Literally. So this was to satisfy his sexual appetite. And, like, it was disgusting. So if he was at his home in New York, he would call one of his staff members to make sure that he had a girl lined up in Florida, if that's where he was going. Like, it was constant. And so he had four main employees that worked at these different houses that would set up appointments. And some of the notepads were, like, so-and-so asked if she could come by too because she's been in school so like these are notes written down like you can see photos of them why is a schoolgirl coming to your house mm-hmm. and these employees were these the recruiters or no they were like staff that worked directly under him just like kind Ew. of like assistants they were the people that it... scheduled these appointments for him were they women? I believe some of them were. They are not named. Mm. None of them are named and part... We'll get to it. We'll okay. get to it. Okay. So police had the city keep garbage that was collected from Epstein's house and comb through it for evidence. Notes with the girls' names and times were found matching the already interviewed teenagers also, sex toys matching the description provided by these teens were also collected from the rubbish. Police conducted surveillance on his Palm Beach house, as well as they kept tabs on his private jet to know of his comings and goings. Being constantly on the move and owning multiple properties made it difficult to know where he was at any given time, but due diligence was done. 
searches of the mansion found hidden cameras and many photos of the girls. Mm. A damning case was built. Mm-hmm. And with enough probable cause, an affidavit was submitted by police stating that Jeffrey Epstein should be charged with multiple counts of unlawful sex with a minor and one count of sexual abuse. Wait, why isn't he getting statutory rape? They need, like, specific charges. So I think if they could bring him in on a few charges, then they could possibly stack more on with more evidence. Okay, so they were going for the bare minimum just to bring him in. Yeah. Okay. So on July 27th, 2006, Epstein was finally charged by Palm Beach Police Department. But despite the overwhelming evidence, he was only brought in on a state charge of procuring a minor for prostitution. So and when the Palm Beach Police Department were first building their case, the prosecution was like, this is slam dunk. You've got this many witnesses. You've got mm-hmm. all this evidence. Yeah. And like, he'll be away forever. Yeah. This prosecutor eventually was like, mm, kind of wishing, washing, kind of mm. just like changed the attitude. So he brought the evidence before a grand jury, mm-hmm. which isn't common for like a state charge. Yeah. And it was this like, grand jury that was like okay we'll we'll just do the one charge that's what they brought the one charge in on him for for real for real it gets worse it gets so much worse solid okay so he made bond and it was only like a three thousand dollar bond okay yeah this should have been an open and shut case, but prosecution claimed that the victims were not reliable witnesses. However, this still seems very suspicious. Sorry, why weren't they reliable witnesses? Because they were young women or because they didn't come from an affluential background? Well, and that's part of the problem too, but they... So a lot of people were saying like, all oh, these girls... Especially Epstein was like, these girls love me. They're in love with me. And they're just, like, saying these things to get back at me. Or, well, I paid them. So, because they took money, they were no longer reliable witnesses. Never mind the fact that some of them were as young as 14 years old. These girls come from a lower... Lots of them come from a very unstable home environment. Not a great economic background and yeah if you can get five hundred dollars for 20 minutes worth of work yeah who what 14 year old wouldn't take that right so yeah they got paid but it was still a disgusting thing that any adult man should know better than to do but Mm -hmm. it wasn't about the sex it was about power Mm mm-hmm he purposefully chose these young girls knowing that they would never be taken seriously. Exactly. What a disgusting person. Oh, gets worse. <laughs> well, then the jury. Like, I couldn't imagine sitting there seeing all this evidence pile up against young women 
I'd just be like, just procuring a minor like in what world if that was your kid you're saying that you wouldn't fight tooth and nail just to get them some justice well then you got to consider who are these people what kind of connections do they have what kind of strings was epstein able to pull Mm -hmm. so with this single charge against epstein the lead detective formally requested that the fbi take a closer and deeper look into this case regarding the powerful man. Good thing this guy's on it. <laughs> if only. For real? July 2006, the FBI started Operation Leap Year, the nickname of the investigation into Jeffrey Epstein. With victims being found all over the country, a 53-page indictment was prepared. Despite the amount of evidence, the FBI work was slow, working two years until the case kind of just slowed to a stop. Agents were not allowed to discuss anything regarding the Epstein case with Palm Beach Police Department, victims, or their lawyer. What wasn't allowed to be disclosed was that in 2007, the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of Florida Alexandra Acosta agreed to a plea deal. So described later as a sweetheart deal, Epstein was granted immunity from all federal charges. And in return, the now 50-year-old, 54-year-old man would plead guilty to two state felony prostitution charges. I'm sorry, what? So basically the deal was because it wasn't being federally prosecuted the federal government could just like slough it off back to the state level so there was specific charges that were negotiated against him and they had to come up with the crimes that would fit the punishment essentially that's like that's the best way i can describe it from the shows and the, like the research that I've done. So this is the punishment that like you want. So here, let's try and make it happen. Exactly. All those poor women got no justice. Mm-mm. I'm no. sorry, two prostitution charges. It gets worse. So, along with the immunity for himself for federal charges, remember those four people that were doing all the scheduling? Mm-hmm. They got immunity as well. Um, also, not only did they get immunity, but in the paperwork, it also included that any, like, other unnamed people in connection would get immunity. Oh. So he's looking after his people, at least. Uh-huh. Yes, he is. Hmm. So, let's get to the punishment. Let me guess, it was, like, capital city cleanup. <laughs> Okay, well, you know, I think the <gasps> capital city cleanup would have been a better punishment for this man. Oh my god, I'm not here for it. So he was sentenced to serve 18 months in prison, register as a sex offender, and pay restitutions to his victims. So I would like to point out here that the FBI only identified 36 victims that were eligible for restitutions. So Acosta defends the lenient sentence, saying that he had been told from higher-ups that Epstein was, quote, above his pay grade and to leave it alone. You know what? I think that's such a garbage thing to say to somebody. 
But I also understand where this man is coming from. Hunter, like, I get it. But what a garbage mentality. Well, and Alexander Acosta, under the Trump administration, was highly promoted. Until the Epstein, everything came up with this plea deal came up, and then he was pretty much forced to resign (laughs) from that position. Nice. So... Was there something in it for him, for Epstein to get off so late? Obviously. Right? He was part of Epstein's child trafficking ring. Allegedly, that's my feelings. Allegedly, your feelings are probably right. (laughs) That's speculation. (laughs) Wild speculation. The moment in court shocked the victims and their lawyers, as they had been unaware of this deal and had been under the impression that this man would be locked up forever. You literally just let a child rapist go on mm-hmm. 18 months of prison time. Mm-hmm. He's now going to get out and think that he is completely untouchable. He already was untouchable. Well, this he's just... still got 18 months in prison. We'll get to the actual jail sentence in a second. Like, what happened while he was in jail in a second. But the victim's rights were actually incredibly violated. As in the U.S., they have a very strict list of rights that victims have, including, like, police protection, um, you know, movement, uh, notifications if offenders are released from prison. Um, They're supposed to have um, the ability to... Weigh in on any potential plea deals, any potential sentencing, anything. They are supposed to know about it. And these women were kept in the dark. They were told to be patient (laughs) because they were not supposed to know about this deal, which was a violation of their rights. Yeah. Instead, Epstein was formally charged in court on June 30th, 2008 for one count of procuring for prostitution a girl below age 18. He served three and a half months in Palm Beach County Stockade, after which time he was allowed to leave on work release for up to 16 hours a day, seven days a week. So he had sleepovers at prison? It wasn't even prison. I should also mention that the stockade wasn't exactly a jail cell either, and his work was a foundation which was dissolved shortly after his release. So they, like, just made up a job for him so to have an excuse to leave. Solid. He had detention as an adult. He had an entire wing of the jail to himself. And guards who worked there for, like, were paid by their overtime by Epstein. Like, they, I think it was something like $127,000 Epstein just gave to the county stockade mm-hmm. just like to justify everything. And like when he was working on the foundation, the guards would have to accompany him, but they had to wear suits. They basically just checked people in and out. Like after this cushy jail time, Epstein was released on probation on July 22nd, 2009 for a year on house arrest. Did he comply with this? Of course not. No. No, he didn't. He was permitted to use his private jet to fly to his many other properties, as well as go shopping and take walks around Palm Beach for exercise. So, like, he just needed to be within, like, a thousand mile radius of his home? 
not exactly how I would define house arrest personally, but I guess when you have multiple homes, like... Yeah. Which home am I house arrested to, sir? Oh, not here for it. After the short sentence was completed, Epstein had to register as a sex offender, which he did in 2011. At a level 3 registered sex offender, which is high-risk repeated offender, he was required by law to check in with the New York City Police Department every 90 days, but that was never enforced. (laughs) So between the years of 2008 and 2019, Jeffrey Epstein was served with a number of lawsuits from former victims and like a part of other lawsuits which also concerned him. Many of the suits were settled out of court, but I'd like to take the time to just discuss a few of them. So this includes one in 2015, Virginia Garufe versus Jeffrey Epstein, in which Virginia alleged in a sworn affidavit to have been sexually trafficked by Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell at 17 years old. Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell was like a girlfriend. Okay. Like she... Her father was a wealthy man in Britain. Okay. And allegedly Epstein worked with him, for him. Like, the lines kind of are blurred. But there was the connection there, and that's how those two met. Okay. And, like, they weren't, like, dating, like, boyfriends friend girlfriend kind of thing they were just like in each other's company a lot and like epstein even said about other former girlfriends like oh they're upgraded from girlfriend to friend so like it kind of says the regards for women that he has Mm -hmm. so virginia swears that she was sexually and physically abused by the aforementioned pair as well as the other well-known and connected people Virginia said that she had served as a sex slave between the years of 1999 to 2002 and had recruited other underage girls for the couple to use at their request. People named in her lawsuit have claimed never to have met the woman. However, one of the men took legal action against her. Her character was attacked and she had her name dragged through the mud, like through society papers and the media that's gross so and like this is a running theme with women that have spoken out against Jeffrey Epstein is they are totally discredited totally just attacked by the media mm-hmm. made to feel just awful for coming out and speaking against this tycoon yeah so Virginia also believes that the FBI have may have been part of like some sort of cover-up that involved Epstein Ooh. Due to the publicity attacks, Virginia in turn filed defamation suits against multiple people, including Ghislaine Maxwell. Oh, wow. She was not backing down. No. And that's a few of the victims. They. Like, what else can they take from you? Okay. So, another victim's rights suit was filed by two women, one of which was Courtney Wilde against the United States. For the non-prosecution agreement given to Epstein. So that was the... um, The backdoor plea deal? Yeah, yeah. The immunity and all that fun stuff. Yeah. So in an attempt to vacate the previous ruling, 
This suit was based on the fact that the agreement was made and kept in secret, which was a violation of victims' rights. Despite being filed on December 30th of 2014, the judgment was not made until February 21st, 2019, in which a judge did agree that the rights of the victims were violated. The judgment, however, did not offer a resolution such as the previous charges being vacated. And this was because the charges were not given by a federal court. Mm -hmm. They were given by a state court. Um, And because of that, they could not be overturned. Oh. The latest development of this is from February 2022, in which Wilde attempted to appeal this ruling at the U.S. Supreme Court, but the movement was refused. Despite this, Wilde is refusing to back down on her search for justice. Wait, so is he not in prison right now? Oh. How do you... We'll get to it. Okay. We'll get to it. I didn't finish the TV show. Okay, but you were alive in 2019. (laughs) I feel like there was a lot of doom and gloom. So, we'll get to it. I've I've got theories. We'll get to it. Okay, so we're going to get to 2019 right now. So, unknown to Epstein, the FBI had reopened their investigation into this wealthy man. And on July 6, 2019, they actually arrested him at Teterboro Airport in New Jersey. This time, he was brought in on sex trafficking charges. Upon his arrest, a search was conducted of his 21,000-square-foot townhouse in Manhattan. Inside, there was found to be hundreds, if not thousands, of photographs of nude women. Many of them were identified to be minors. In his lock safe, there were discs with labels such as young woman plus a name miscellaneous nudes one and girls picks nude <laughs> which i'm sorry like you couldn't come up with something better than that right <laughs> like at least try to be a little stealthy right it's <laughs> like little. some boomer up here trying to label everything girls nudes one cool <laughs> So there was also found to be $70,000 in cash, as well as 48 diamonds. Oh, okay. An Austrian airport bearing Epstein's photo, but not his name, was also found. And inside, there were stamps from France, Spain, the UK, and Saudi Arabia used in the 80s. Okay, so, so he had a fake ID. He sure did. Mm-hmm. And he not only did he have a fake ID, but he traveled with it. Yeah. It had been used. So the indictment from the FBI to Epstein is publicly available, and in it, it is alleged that dozens of underage girls were brought to Epstein for sexual encounters. These encounters were virtually the same where a teenage girl, which... Epstein would be aware of the fact, after asking them how old they were, Mm -hmm. would be lured to perform a massage on the now 66-year-old man. Mm. Once the massage began, 
it would turn more sexual in nature, as Epstein would command the girl to undress herself. He would usually be masturbating during these times as well. He would then touch the teenager's genitals, either with his hands or with sex toys. Immediately after finishing these encounters, Epstein would pay the girl between two to three hundred dollars. He would also ask them to bring friends or other girls they knew. Okay. Epstein pled not guilty to, of charges of sex trafficking and conspiracy to traffic minors for sex. Hmm. So based on the findings in a safe, a few weeks later, when Epstein requested to be released on bond, it was determined that he was a flight risk, so the judge denied him. And he actually offered to use the Zorro mansion as collateral, and that property was valued at $100 million. Well, this is a man who has money to burn. Who cares about a house in all reality to him? Mm-hmm. Well, and, like, he also offered to be on house arrest, but we know how that went the last time. Yeah. So he did make other court appearances wearing a blue prison jumpsuit, but he appeared to be unfazed sitting in the courtroom. Hmm. On July 23rd, Epstein was found on the floor of his cell, semi-conscious with marks around his neck. His cellmate claimed he had nothing to do with these injuries, However, Epstein claimed he didn't harm himself. The correctional staff did not believe Epstein and assumed that the disgraced financier attempted to hang himself. Hmm. Due to this incident, he was placed on suicide watch and after six days, he was taken off. Okay. He was also relocated to a special housing unit with a different inmate. So... During this time, he was supposed to always have a cellmate, and he was also supposed to have a guard check on him every 30 minutes. Okay. On the night of August 10th, neither of these things occurred. Okay. All preventative measures were neglected. The day before, uh, so that was August 9th, Epstein's cellmate was relocated, but no one took his place. Allegedly, that night, the guards that there was so there was two guards, and they were supposed to be checking on him, and they allegedly both fell asleep. Oh, okay. Despite there not being one but two cameras that faced Epstein's cell, both of them were malfunctioning that night as well. Okay. At six thirty a.m., Epstein was found dead. Oh in his cell and although resuscitation attempts were tried he died all right which is like that was going around for a very long time of epstein did not kill himself epstein didn't kill himself in 2019 which is like, how do you not remember this <laughs> nope does not ring a bell but i feel like 2019 was busy time for all of us yeah it's just been crazy since. Um, I, you know what? I would not be opposed to that idea. We'll get to it. Okay. We'll get to the problems with it. Okay. So now this is where the case gets super interesting. 
See, Epstein was a man with connections. He was very close friends with many high-up people, including former and, at the time, current presidents, members of the British royal family, scientists, and tech moguls, and Hollywood producers, just to name a few. Mm -hmm. This was a very, very well-connected man, and not just connected, connected with powerful people. It is believed by some that Epstein would fly these influential people to his private island of Little St. James and operate an underground sex ring where these people would indulge in statutory rape of these underage girls. What's more is that despite his death being ruled as a suicide, there were fundamental investigation flaws which include there was no photographs taken of the position of his body, which is really important when determining cause of death mm-hmm. because it gives, like, certain positions, it's less likely for certain injuries to have happened. And then, too, when you get into, like, blood pooling, like, it's really important to know all of these things to better understand what exactly happened. Wait, so they're saying they went in, he was dead, they picked him up, took him over to the coroner's office, cleaned it up, had a nice day. Essentially. There was, like, so, allegedly the guard said that he tried to cut him down, and then, like, attempted the resuscitation. Okay. But, like, there was two nooses found in the cell, but neither of them looked like they were cut. So, like... That was just on, like, one or two of the articles I found, so I didn't originally include that. But, like, evidence surrounding this is very suspicious, is the long and short of that. Yeah. But this is also a man who raped hundreds, if not thousands, of girls. Uh Uh-huh. Karma. Is it karma? Or is it intentional? Karma is somebody taking revenge. This is someone with these connections that knows things that wealthy, other important people would not want to get out. Oh, you think this was an inside? I do think that. Ooh. Because I find it too coincidental that and like all of these preventative measures were missed at the exact same time in a three hour window there was two cameras down two guards asleep no cellmate they cut the body down they didn't take the pictures and during the autopsy there were signs of ligature marks around the 66 year old's neck which and there also was like abrasions on his wrist and other injuries which they couldn't really determine where Mm -hmm. those were from. An injury that has been debated is the finding of fractures in both the left and right thyroid cartilage, as well as the left hyoid bone. While these injuries are found, according to one study, in 15% of suicides by hanging, they are much more common in cases of criminal strangulation. Mm -hmm. A forensic pathologist hired by Epstein's younger brother is adamant that his death was a criminal act, not suicide. Hmm. So, back to my, the conspiracy theory. 
As previously mentioned, Epstein is believed to have provided many powerful people with girls he trafficked for nefarious purposes. Mentioned as well was the cameras in Epstein's home, specifically in bedrooms, as well as discs labeled with people's names. Could you imagine the poor soul that had to watch those? Mm-hmm. I always think about those people, especially when we talk about, like, CSAM, and somebody has to go through that. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason why people that do that job burn out very quickly and do not last. Horrible. Mm-hmm. Yuck. Mm-hmm. So there are many who connect these facts with the likelihood that Epstein would film these higher-up people committing these illicit acts and then either keep them or use them for blackmail. It is believed that in order to keep the specifics of what happened on Little St. James a secret and exactly who was involved, higher-ups might have ordered Epstein to be killed. This is, of course, entirely speculation, and I cannot confirm this. However, it does add questions mm-hmm. surrounding Epstein's death. Well, and why? Why? Like, he wasn't in there that long. No. And look at how his past has went. He would have been out in six more months. Mm-hmm. Just if history is going to repeat itself. Mm-hmm. I think it was the fact that he didn't make Bond that made him a target. If he could have made Bond, I think he would still be around, still operating his ring. But because for whatever reason that judge could not be bought, he was a target. Mm -hmm. Yep. So 10 days after Epstein's death, on August 29th of 2019, the case against Epstein was closed after the judge dismissed all sex trafficking charges. There have continued to be lawsuits made by his victims to his estate. So so there was over a hundred against his estate, sorry. Wow. And that amount ended up being around fifty million dollars paid out to victims. Wow. In February of 2021, his estate was valued to be around $240 million. Just like his physical properties that he owned. Mm-hmm. There's no other paper trail that publicly can be found wow so as well in recent developments Ghislaine maxwell was formally charged with sex trafficking and first appeared in court on november 15th of 2021 on june 28th 2022 maxwell was sentenced to 20 years in prison now this case is actually like still in the works today Mm -hmm. and yesterday when i was finishing up my notes i decided to just take a peek see if there's any developments and there is (laughs) it turns out that she's being transferred to a low security prison in florida so so what happened to his estate did she get it there i think it was being held in trust so just that money is pretty much just sitting there It, it didn't there's no other details surrounding the trust. Okay. Like, they're selling properties. Lawyers are selling properties. And any money that is not being paid out to victims is just going into that trust. So, who has access to it? I don't know. Hmm. 
It'd be interesting to know. It would be. It would be very interesting to know. Because we know that Maxwell? Mm-hmm. She probably has access to all of his offshore accounts. Or at least she knows about them. I'm sure. Well, that brings us to other, like, because he was such a private man, what he told, like, what specifically he told to each person is impossible to know. Yeah, but it kind of sounds like they were partners in this crime. And this crime, sure, but does she have access to everything? No. There's no. no way she does. Some, maybe. I'll give you that, but I... That is crazy. Sorry, I've got one last disgusting fun fact about him. Okay. But, so, in keeping with the theme of the very wealthy, it is very well documented that a number of people with money are very interested in subjects such as eugenics mm-hmm. as well as transhumanism and epstein was no exception to that now i did include what transhumanism was so this is a movement that aims to use technology to transform humans and so create a superior human race so remember at the beginning when you're like subhuman he's trying to do the opposite <laughs> He's trying to be more than human. So, like, the best version of humanity. Smarter, faster, stronger, longevity. Isn't that what, like, Hitler tried to do? It is what Hitler tried to do. Okay. Okay. Yeah. As long as we're on the same page here. Yeah. Except Hitler didn't really use technology. He used different methods. He used specific breeding. He did For use... For lack of a better term. It's the best term. He, he used specific breeding yeah yeah um so it is reported that epstein wanted a baby farm on his new mexico ranch where he would impregnate and keep 20 women at a time there to birth his offspring unbelievably despite how horribly unethical this would be it has been discussed in a number of scientific communities and like he donated a lot of money to universities such as harvard which refused to give those donations back when these allegations came out so a lot of scientific communities were scrambling being like oh oh no this is kind of fucked up what we were talking about with this guy huh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i have so many questions but like for the majority of his run he was preying on lower class people. Mm-hmm. But for this project, project, yeah, we can go with that. You would want highly intelligent, well versed, fit people, right? You would like, assume. you would want the best of the best of the best. Unless you were so egotistical to believe that your sperm would elevate any womb it was put into then you're stupid well but how was he thinking that he would get these highly educated women to join his baby farm baby farms could happen they have happened in the past in relatively recent years so but i'm talking about like is he just gonna snatch these women off the street that happens that happens 
Here Once I am again. trying to give Buddy the benefit of the doubt without with forgetting the completely obvious uh, body snatching. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, no, I just, like, I did not want to leave that out, but I didn't know where else to put that in. So. Your fun fact at the end. Yep. The fun fact that made me be like, are you fucking kidding me? People weren't. Oh, yeah, he was also super into uh, chirogenics, and when he, like, before he tragic, like, mysteriously died, he had wanted his head and his penis frozen. So. Yeah. Once again. Like, please explain to me how this white man can woo so many people, including some of the top schools, to think that any of this is okay. Well, when you get into scientific discussion, a lot of time ethics are put aside. You see that a lot of time, especially during conflicts. Like, think about the numerous atrocities that were committed in the name of science. As soon as you remove ethics from the equation, science skyrockets ahead. It goes leaps and bounds. So when you're talking hypothetically, I think a lot of scientific communities can theorize these conversations but it's also very important to see where this is coming from but you get that all the time you get that all the time when you get people with money yeah you get that everywhere you get that with you get that all the time where people with money feel the need to change things or say how they feel about things or influence different policies in a certain way it's because he had money that these scientists were able to entertain his ideas no matter how fucked up they were no i'm just saying if some joe blow with a hillbilly mustache walked in there living you know on the side of a mountain saying that 911 would have been called. 100%. Just put that out there. You know what? Not even like a Joe Blow. Just like average middle class man. Yep. Average middle class man. Do you think that they can go around? No. People cannot go around talking like that unless you have money. Touche. Yeah. Because you're right. Coming from where I am, if some random person came up to me and was like, I'm going to start a baby farm. (laughs) What do you think about that? I'd be like, hard fucking pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that story. <laughs> I, I'm disgusted. I am too. And like I said, I was in such a rage before I started, and it just kept going. <laughs> oh man, that yuck. Well, thanks for listening to that story. <laughs> Like we said, it is going to be a very long episode. (laughs) Yes. But let's get right into it. Courtney, what's your W? My W is for witch trials. Yes. So today we are covering the Salem witch trials. Okay. Is there, sorry, so your stuff is usually like supernatural. Are you going to be talking? No. Okay. This is strictly the trials. Okay. More of like the kind of going into your territory i guess okay wow (laughs) that's okay i'm excited to hear it not sorry because it's great i'm i'm excited the salem witch trials occurred in colonial massachusetts between 1692 and 1693 
More than 200 people were accused of practicing witchcraft, or the devil's magic, and 20 people were executed. Eventually, the colony admitted the trials were a mistake and compensated the families of those convicted. Well, okay. I'm I'm glad that we acknowledged that was a mistake. We'll get there. Okay. 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 Since then, the story of the trials has become linked with paranoia and injustice. It continues to captivate the popular imagination more than 300 years later. I also, and we're so on the same wavelength with injustice. <laughs> it really is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, yeah. Several centuries ago, many practicing Christians and those of other religions had a strong belief that the devil could give certain people, known as witches, the power to harm others in return for their loyalty. Okay. A quote-unquote witch craze rippled through Europe from the 1300s to the end of the 1600s. So I think I would like to point out here, the 1300s to the 1600s is 300 years I would say that's a ripple. (laughs) That Europe is like, yeah, we got witches and we are witch hunting. Okay? And we're going to get to it. But America did it so poorly, it only lasted a year. Was it just that one area as well? Or was it the entire United States? I didn't actually look. I would say it's probably there was witch hunting in other states. I think we would be crazy to think that there wasn't. Because so when it, we're talking colonies, it's like the original colony, so it would have just been like around the the colony of Massachusetts. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is now Salem. Yeah. I would assume there was more witch hunts in the states, but this one is the the big one. Yes. Okay. Okay. The, I'll look into it next time I do a witch one because okay. I think that would be really interesting to see like what other states did. Mm-hmm. Because you know, if they lasted a year or longer, why aren't they more popular? Unless this one just had more murder. This one is so fucked up. Oh, love Honestly. it. Honestly, here for it. Yeah, but think about it. When you think of witch trials, you think of the Salem witch trials. You don't think of the three hundred year witch trials. 300 year witch hunts in Europe you think of the actions from those witch hunts but you don't actually think of the witch hunts not so much you're right yeah I don't know I um went to medieval times in Florida and they've got like the torture museum Mm -hmm. so I have those kind of ingrained in my brain (laughs) as soon as like any sort of witch, witch hunt comes up so, yeah. That's Europe for you. Yep. <laughs> All right. So, a witchcraft craze rippled through Europe for 300 years, and tens of thousands of supposed witches, mostly women, were executed. Though, the Salem trials came on just as the European craze was winding down. Local circumstances explained their delay. So, in 1689... English rulers William and Mary started a war with France. Classic. In the American colonies. Known as King William's War to colonists. It ravaged regions of upstate New York, Nova Scotia, and Quebec. 
sending refugees into the country of Essex, and specifically Salem Village in the Massachusetts Bay. Okay. Present day Salem. Yeah. So it just sent a bunch of people to Salem. Okay. The displaced people created a strain on Salem's resources, provoking the existing rivalry between families with ties to the wealth of the Port of Salem and those who still depend on agriculture. Again, tying into yours. <laughs> Controversy also brewed over Reverend Samuel Paris, who became Salem's village first ordained minister in 1689. Okay. He was disliked because of his rigid ways and greedy nature. Oh, it's very, um, <laughs> exactly what you want in a minister. Right? Fuck. <laughs> the Puritan villagers believed all the quarreling was the work of the devil. I mean, probably not wrong. It's just y'all are also, you know, little devils. <laughs> like, why don't you guys just stop being assholes mm-hmm. and share with each other? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry, you have 10 bundles of hay and he has 10 bundles of fish. Share the Trades. wealth. Well, we tradesies. No time for it. But no, we're just going to sit and be angry about it. <clears throat> Petty Bettys. <laughs> In January of 1692, Reverend Paris's daughter Elizabeth, age 9, niece Abigail Williams, age 11, started having fits. They screamed through things, uttered particular sounds, and contorted themselves into strange positions. And a local doctor blamed the supernatural. Ugh. Uh, you know what? That had got to be the best time to be a doctor. Yeah. Right? Fuck if I know must be a devil right there. Work of the devil. Yeah, you don't have to do any tests. You just look at her and she's like, mm. That's a weird contortion, yep. Yeah, that's the devil. Demon if I ever saw one. (laughs) Yeah. Another girl, Anne Putnam, age 11, experienced similar episodes. On February 29th, under pressure from magistrates Jonathan Corwin and John Hawthorne, the girls blamed three women for afflicting them. Okay, I'm sorry. But you guys are the ones screaming, screeching, contorting, doing all the fun, weird shit that doctors have said it's supernatural. Why do you get to just say, oh, yeah, it's so and so? Uh-uh, honey, you possess. Mm-hmm. Where's your exorcism? Maybe give that a try, Mr. Minister. We're going to freaking point fingers? I think the fuck not. No. No, no, and, no. Like, if I was a witch and I was mad at you, I wouldn't be making you have little tizzy fits. Yeah, we're going to do some actual... We're going to do damage, honey. Mm-hmm. Like, uh-uh. Still makes me mad. <laughs> the girls blamed three women for afflicting them. Tichuba, the Paris's Caribbean slave, Sarah Good, and a homeless beggar, Sarah Osborne. Okay. Oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Tichuba, the Paris's Caribbean slave, Sarah Good, a homeless beggar, and Sarah Osborne, an elderly, impoverished woman. Okay. Yep, let's uh, blame the impoverished woman and the slave and a homeless woman. Yeah. Very uh, coincidental. Right? (laughs) 
All three women were brought before the local magistrates and interrogated for several days, starting on March 1st, 1692. Osborne claimed innocence, as did Good, but Tituba confessed, The devil came to me and bid me to serve him. She described elaborate images of black dogs, red cats, yellow birds, and a black man who wanted her to sign his book. She admitted that she signed the book and said there were several other witches looking to destroy the Puritans. All three women were put in jail. Okay. You know what? I would fuck with them too. Right. Like, I am here as a slave being pointed a finger at by a 11-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd fuck with them. Yep. Yeah, I'm seeing fucking animals of every color of the rainbow. Right? And especially at that point. Like, she probably was like, I know where I'm going at this point. Yep. I'm not going to survive this. Mm-mm. May as well. Take as many as you fuckers with me. Yeah. I... I'm with her. I would do the same thing. <laughs> like, yeah, I signed his book. Have a nice day. <laughs> So, now with the seed of paranoia planted, a stream of accusations followed for the next few months. Charges against Martha Corey, a loyal member of the church in the Salem village, <gasps> greatly concerned the community. Uh-oh. If it's in the church, who can, who can't be? That's literally the next <laughs> sentence. If she could be a witch, then anyone could be. <laughs> I love it. Magistrates even started questioning Sarah Good's four-year-old daughter. Oh my fucking god. Yeah. Uh, And Dorothy, which was her name, her timid answers were construed as a confession. Oh, fuck off. The questioning got more serious in April when Deputy Governor Thomas Danforth and his assistants attended the hearings. Dozens of people from Salem and other Massachusetts villages were brought in for questioning. On May 27, 1692, Governor William Phipps ordered the establishment of a special court of Oyer and Terminer, Terminer, which (laughs) is to hear and to decide. Okay. For Suffolk, Essex, Middlesex countries. The first case brought to the special court was Bridget Bishop, an older woman known for her gossipy habits and promiscuity. When asked if she committed witchcraft, Bishop responded, I am as innocent as a child unborn. The defense must not have been convincing. Because she was found guilty and on June 10th became the first person hanged on what was later called Gallows Hill. Thirteen women and five men from all stations of life followed her to the gallows on three successive hanging days. Fuck. So, you know... My case was also about getting hanged. Um, <laughs> mild wavelength. Five days later, respected minister Cotton Mather wrote a letter imploring the court not to allow spectral evidence testimony. Oh, not to allow spectral evidence. Testimony about dreams and visions. Like, I'm sorry. We were just letting every Tom, Dick, and Harry with their weird fucking dreams after drinking, you know, poisoned rum all night. That's a full testimony. Yeah. Seems uh, reasonable. Yep. Uh Uh-huh. 
The court largely ignored this request, and five people were sentenced and hanged in July. Are you kidding me? They're like, you know what? Dreams are valid. They are evidence. That person experienced them. Right? I'll... Oh. Yeah. Okay. Five more in August and eight in September. On October 3rd, following his son's footsteps, Increase Mather, the president of Harvard, denounced the use of spectral evidence. It were better than 10 suspected witches should escape than one innocent person be condemned, he said. Finally, a man speaking some sense. Well, his dad said that. Well, yeah, but then nobody listened. Right? Just ridiculous. Government Phipps, oh, Governor Phipps, in response to Mather's plea and his own wife being questioned for witchcraft, prohibited further arrests, releasing many accused witches, and dissolved the court of Oyer and Terminer on October 29th. Huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, so your wife might have been a witch? Yeah. Interesting that we can't submit dreams as testimony. Weird how quickly things change. Phipps replaced it with a superior court of judicature, which disallowed spectral evidence and only condemned three out of 56 defendants. Phipps eventually pardoned all who were in prison on witchcraft charges by May of 1693, but the damage had been done. I would say. 19 were hanged on Gallows Hill. Giles Corey, a 71-year-old man, was pressed to death with heavy stones for refusing to cooperate with the court, (laughs) and several people died in jail, and nearly 200 people overall had been accused of practicing the devil's magic. Fuck. So, yes, only 20 people were sentenced to death. Yeah, but that's 20 people too many when we're talking about... It is, 100%. But anybody could make an accusation that anybody else was a witch because, you know, she smelt funny, which made my nose tingle, which means that she's a witch. Mm-hmm. You know, she snuffed me and I had bad dreams, so she's a witch. She's a gossipy woman who's promiscuous, so she must be a witch. Any form of gossip about you was a witch. And so many people died waiting for their trial Uh more people died in jail than people hung well yeah we're talking 1600s in jail what are their prisons like because i know that they're not going to be like what epstein had they're not going to be cushy (laughs) no i'm willing to bet you there wasn't indoor heating water no there's probably a lot of disease a lot of rats Uh uh-huh if they got food yeah. So, now we are going to get into some of the trials and accusations. Oh, I am so ready for this. Okay, so we're going to start with Bridget Bishop. Bridget Bishop was examined due to her accusation of suspicion of sundry acts of witchcraft. Mm. Remember, Bishop was the gossip. Yeah. Bishop was accused of bewitching five young women, Abigail Williams and Putnam Jr., Mercy Lewis, Mary Walcott, and Elizabeth Hubbard. On the date of her examination by the authorities, April 19, 1692, these women claimed Bridget Bishop to be the witch who hurt them. Anne Putnam, 
stated that Bishop called the devil her god. A record was given of her trial by Cotton Mather in Wonders of the Invisible World in his book. Mathers recorded that several people testified against Bishop, stating that the shape of Bishop would pinch, choke, or bite them. I'm sorry, the shape of Bishop? Like her shadow. Hey. Yeah. Okay. The shape also threatened to drown one of the victims if she did not write her name in a certain book. Okay. According to Mather, during the trial, any time Bishop would look up upon one of her accusers, they would be immediately struck down and only her touch would revive them. Oh my fucking god. More allegations were made during the trial, including that of a woman saying that the apparition of Bishop tore her coat, and upon further examination, her coat was found to be indeed torn in the exact same spot. You mean like you tore your coat, you noticed it was torn, so you could say where your coat was torn. Mm -hmm. Interesting how that happens. Mathers mentioned that the truth of these many accusations carried too much suspicion. Other people, such as Richard Coleman, accused Bishop of taking hold of their throats and ripping Coleman and his wife out of bed. She is freaking strong. Right? Damn. I want those biceps. (laughs) Other girls accused her of harming them with just a quick glance. Even Bishop's own husband claimed she praised the devil. Yeah, I bet he says that. Right? Okay. Oh, man. Okay. Fuck. Like the day your husband betrays you. That would be the day. If Uh I was a witch, you'd be cursed. You're not seeing daybreak. Mm -mm. William Stacy, a middle-aged man in Salem Town, testified that Bishop had previously made statements to him that other people in the town considered her to be a witch. Okay, so she's talking like, hey, people are saying these things about me. Yeah, I should spread that too, right? He confronted her with the allegations that she was using witchcraft to torment him, which she denied. Another local man, Samuel Shattuck, accused Bishop of bewitching his child and also of striking his son with a spade. (laughs) Like, sir, I feel like she should have moved over a few inches and hit you with the spade. Um, why is your child near the spade? That seems like the child's fault in this situation. (laughs) She should see a spade coming. One would think, but I don't know. He also testified that Bishop asked him to dye lace, which apparently was too small to be used on anything but a poppet. A doll used in spellcasting. Okay. Okay. Like, you know what? Maybe she wanted to use it for, like, picking her nose. Who are you to judge? Leave her and her lace alone. Right. John and William Bly, father and son, testified about finding poppets in Bishop's house and also about their cat that appeared to be bewitched or poisoned after a dispute with Bishop. Oh, no. But, like, the cat could have just ate a funky plant. (laughs) Other victims of Bishop, as recorded by Mather, include Deliverance Hobbs, John Cook, Samuel Gray, and John Louder. I'm sorry, I gotta say, I really am enjoying these Puritan names. Such like as basic Deliverance. bitch. <laughs> yeah. 
I love it. Sam Gray. Like, come on. During her sentencing, a jury of women found a third nipple upon Bishop, which is considered to be a surefire sign of witchcraft. Obviously. Bishop's trial lasted eight days, officially starting the Salem Witch Trials. Oh, man. I'm sorry. You know what? I would fucking hit people with a spade at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, you all just had something negative to say about her, mm-hmm. and you condemned her to death. Mm-hmm. You had no real evidence. You mean looking at people doesn't actually physically harm them? It's called anxiety. <sighs> Stop lying, and maybe the anxiety will feel better. Is it anxiety, or is it just that they're shitty people? Maybe it is a devil's work. <laughs> they need some devil's lettuce and maybe calm down. <laughs> I just, I'm so enraged that, you know, how did so many people just be like, yeah, this is a great idea. Right? We're just going to hang the witches. Like, this is great. No worries. You know, spectral evidence, all good. Honey, you had a bad dream. Let's condemn her. Mm-hmm. You know, we were pulled out of bed by our throats honey yeah okay i okay and i'd like to say it gets better but it really doesn't i i didn't i had that feeling (sighs) this is one out of 20 deaths yeah where there's testimony oh they all did it's pretty cool so sarah good is our next one okay good was accused of witchcraft on march 6th 1692 when Abigail Williams and Elizabeth Paris, related to Reverend Samuel Paris, Uh-oh. claimed to be bewitched under her hand. I'm sorry, but if you're bewitched, aren't you kind of asking for it? Like, if you're susceptible to being bewitched? But these were also the girls that went to the doctor saying that they were, like, convulsing, and he's like, it's supernatural things. Mm-hmm. You possessed by the demon. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. I don't believe it. The young girls asserted they had been bitten, pinched, and otherwise abused. Do you, do you hear the... There's a theme. I know. They would have fits in which their bodies would appear to involuntary convulse, their eyes rolling into the back of their heads, and their mouths hanging open. When the reverend, Samuel Paris, asked, Who torments you, girls? The girls would eventually shout the name of three townspeople. Mm. Tituba, Sarah Osborne, and Sarah Good. Side note, after the trials, Tituba remained in the Boston jail, which had very poor living conditions for 13 months because Samuel Paris refused to pay for her jail fees. What? Yeah. In April of 1693, Tituba was sold to an unknown person for the price of her jail fees. Oh my fucking God, that's disgusting. Sarah Osborne died in jail on May 29th. Sarah Good was hanged on July 19th. Hmm. Yep. Pretty fucking shitty. So next up on our list, we have Rebecca Nurse. Okay. On March 23rd in 1692, a warrant was issued for her arrest based upon accusations made by Edward and John Putnam. Putnam. (laughs) Upon hearing of the accusations the frail 71 year old nurse often described as an invalid said i am innocent as the child unborn 
But surely what sin hath God found out in me unrepented? <laughs> oh my god. Fucking 1600 speak. The devil's coming out because I apparently can't say it. Speaking in tongues. <laughs> I am innocent as a child am born. But surely what sin hath God found out in me unrepented of? That he should lay such an affliction on me in my old age. A public outcry greeted the accusations made against her, as she was considered to be a woman of very pious character, who lived in peace with her neighbors and had a reputation for generosity as well as devotion. So, these two put puttets, Putnam, Putnams, were like, she's a witch. Mm -hmm. Okay, Paris and Putnams. Okay. Same thing. Hmm. I'm willing to bet you these guys were like cheating on their wives and they just claimed everybody who wouldn't sleep with them were witches. Or who witnessed yep. affairs, maybe? Yep. Like, there's gotta be some nefarious shit going on here because this is ridiculous. Uh huh. And then just the way the entire society just rolled with it. Mm hmm. Poor 71-year-old, though. It gets worse. Oh, no. Even her neighbor, Sarah Holton, who had accused Rebecca of acting quite unreasonably in a quarrel over some trespassing pigs, <laughs> later changed her mind and spoke in Rebecca's defense. 39 of the most prominent members of the community signed a petition on Nurse's behalf. Okay. At age 71, she was one of the oldest accused. The examining magistrates, John Hawthorne and Jonathan Corwin, who normally regarded the guilt of accused as self-evidence, took a notable, notably different attitude in Rebecca's case, as they also did in the case of her sister, Mary Eastie. They told Rebecca openly that if she was innocent, they prayed that God would show her innocence, for... It is a sad thing to see church members accused. Hawthorne was no doubt influenced by the fact that his sister, Elizabeth Porter, was a close friend of Rebecca and one of her staunchest defenders. Okay. <clears throat> her trial began on June 30th, 1692. In accordance with the procedures at the time, Miss Nurse, like others accused of witchcraft, represented herself since she was not allowed to have a lawyer. What? Yep. Okay. Witches cannot have lawyers. Well, that seems unfair. Right? Witches should be allowed to have the devil defend them. I agree. <laughs> I feel like there needs to be somebody that represents the devil representing these witches. Yeah. Just saying. Mm-hmm. By her respectability, many members of the community testified on her behalf, including her family members. Often the afflicted would break into fits and claimed Nurse was tormenting them. Such so-called spectral evidence was allowed into this trial to show that Satan was afflicting others in the community at the behest of the accused. Fuck off. In response to their outbursts, Nurse stated, I have got nobody to look to but God. In the end, the jury ruled Nurse not guilty. Good. Due to the public outcry and renewed fits and spasms by the afflicted, the judges reviewed her case with the jury. 
one particular point was emphasized and the jury requested a second chance of deliberation. No. No, 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 no. The jury asked Rebecca to explain her remark that another accused witch, Deliverance Hobbs, was of her company. The implication being that they had both signed a pact with the devil. Fatally, Rebecca, who was hard of hearing, did not hear the question. She later explained to her children that she was referring to this woman as a fellow accused witch. However, the jury had changed their verdict and sentenced nurse, nurse to death. Rebecca was hanged on July 19th, 1692. Fuck. Holy fuck. Holy fuck. That is such bullshit. Right? She was, like, in the clear for a hot second. And then her hard of hearing got her. Well, it wasn't her hard of hearing. It was this fucking loser that was like, are you sure she's not guilty? Are you sure after you've already deliberated? Deliverance Hobbs. Fucking deliverance. Yeah. I'll tell you where I'm going to deliver you. <laughs> right? So next we have Elizabeth Howe. The Pearly family of Ipswich, Massachusetts, were among the chief accusers of Elizabeth Howe. They had a 10-year-old daughter they claimed was being afflicted by Howe. The child complained of being pricked by pins and sometimes fell into fits. In their testimony against Howe, on June 1, 1692, they quoted their daughter as saying, Afflicts me. I can never afflict a dog. As good how afflicts me. At first, the parents did not believe their daughter's accusations. Okay. They took the child to see several doctors who told them she was under an evil hand. Her condition continued for two or three years until she pinned away to till she pined away to skin and bone, and ended her sorrowful life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Howe was accused of afflicting several other girls within Salem Village. When Howe was brought in for examination, Mercy Lewis and Mary Walcott, two of her main accusers, fell into a fit. She was accused by Mary of pinching and choking her in the month of May. And Putnam, Anne Putnam Jr. added her accusations to, be, to these by saying she had been hurt three times by Howe. When asked how, she <laughs> pleaded to the charges, well, how she pleaded to the charges made against her, Elizabeth Howe boldly responded, if it was the last moment I was to live, God knows I am innocent of anything of this nature. Elizabeth Howe was hanged on July 19th, 1692. Oh my god. Fucking bitches. These little fucking girls. Yeah. Maybe they're the problem. Have they ever considered that? Like, if you're constantly being targeted by different witches, why are you being targeted? Elise, they're influential families. I know. But I'm just, oh my god. I hate these people. Wealthy bastards. Wealthy <laughs> bastards everywhere we go. <laughs> doesn't matter what year it is. It literally doesn't. <sighs> Next, we have Reverend George Burroughs. Burroughs was arrested on charges of witchcraft on May 4th, 1692, based on the accusations of some personal enemies from his former congregation who had sued him for a debt. Huh. 
At his trial, which took place in May, he was found guilty based on evidence that included his extraordinary feats of strength. Okay, I had really hoped you were just going to stop at his extraordinary feat. And I was going to be like, that is amazing, but feats of strength also fair. Such as lifting a musket by inserting his finger into the barrel. That is impressive. Yeah, such feat of strength being presumed impossible without diabolical assistance. He doesn't skip arm day, guys. That would be finger day. Oh, I <laughs> Good for him. Good for her. <laughs> his failure to baptize his own children or to attend communion was also used as evidence to his guilt. Man, we would... we'd be goners just goners yep he was also suspected of killing his wives by witchcraft wives uh-oh yeah seems sus you know it was the 1600s yeah true (laughs) too many finger days (laughs) And although clearly witchcraft was not involved, there is some historical evidence that he had treated them badly. Okay. Yeah. George Burroughs was hanged at Proctor's Ledge in present-day Salem on August 19th in 1692. He was the only minister to have experienced this fate in America history. Hmm. Although the jury had found no witch's mark on his body, he was nonetheless convicted of witchcraft and conspiracy with the devil. I see. While standing on a ladder before the crowd, waiting to be hanged, he successfully recited the Lord's Prayer, something that was generally considered by the court of Oyer and Terminer to be impossible for a witch to do. Hmm. Funny how that happens. Right. Okay. Next, we have John Proctor. Initial accusations were aimed at Proctor's third wife. Oh, Elizabeth, when he began to defend her and vocally expressed his disbelief in the accusers. Fingers were then pointed at him as well. Although Abigail Williams was John Proctor's chief accuser, he was also named by Mary Walcott, who stated that he tried to choke her and by his former servant, Mary Warren, on April 21st, Warren told the magistrates that Proctor had beaten her for putting up a prayer bill before forcing her to touch the devil's book. Oh. Further allegations of an increasingly suspicious nature followed. Proctor continued to challenge the veracity of spectral evidence and the validity of the court of Oyer and Terminer, which led to a petition signed by 32 neighbors in his favor. The signature stated that Proctor had lived a Christian life in his family and was ever ready to help such as they stood in need. The Proctors were tried on the 5th of August, 1692, and found guilty and sentenced to death by hanging. While Proctor and his wife were still in jail, the sheriff seized all of their household belongings. The cattle were sold cheaply, slaughtered, or shipped to the West Indies. The beer barrels at the tavern were emptied, their children were left with no means of support, and Proctor was hanged on the 19th of August. Oh my god. Elizabeth, fortunately, who was pregnant at the time, was given a reprieve until she gave birth, which came after the trials ended. 
Okay, well, hmm. that's something, I guess, but they, she's got nothing now because everything was sold. Right. Okay. Next, we have Wilmot Red. Red was apprehended on May 28th, 1692 by local constable James Smith. What a basic bitch name. <laughs> the warrant was signed by magistrate Jonathan Corwin and John Hawthorne. The charges brought against her was one of having committed sundry acts of witchcraft. Classic. On the bodies of Mary Wolcott, Mercy Lewis, and others in Salem Village. To their great hurt. Oh. A preliminary examination took place on May 31st, 1692. At Nathan Ingersoll's house in Salem Village. This was Red's first meeting with the children. She allegedly bewitched them. They promptly fell into fits, and when asked what she thought ailed them, Red said, I cannot tell. Urged to give an opinion, she stated, my opinion is that they are in a sad condition. Okay. Indicted as a witch, Red was accused of detestable arts called witchcraft and sorceries. Maliciously and feloniously used, practiced and exercised at the town of Salem, Wilmot was hanged on September 22nd, 1692. Oh no. I know. Next we have Giles Corey. <sighs> Martha Corey was arrested for witchcraft on March 19th, 1692. Corey was so swept up by the trials that he initially believed the accusations against his wife until he himself was arrested based on the same charges. On April 18th, along with Mary Warren, Abigail Hobbs, and Bridget Bishop, the following day they were examined by authorities, during which Abigail Hobbs accused Giles of being a wizard. Corey denied the accusations and refused to plead guilty or non-guilty. He was sentenced to prison um, and subsequently arranged at the September sitting of the court. The record of the court of Oyer and Terminer on September 9th, 1692, contained a deposition by one of the people who accused Giles of witchcraft. I saw the apparition of Giles Corey. Giles? Giles? Come and afflict me, ur- urging me to write in his book. So he continued most dreadfully to hurt me by beating me and almost breaking my back till the day of his examination being the 19th of April. And then also during the time of his examination, he did afflict and torture me most grievously and also several times since urging me to write in his book. I believe in my heart that Giles Corey is a dreadful wizard, for he had been in prison. He or his appearance has come and most grievously tormented me. Oh, no. <sighs> you know, these people get around a lot for being in prison. How, how it's their shadows. I'm just saying, these shadows sure can move. Yeah. And, like, they're very strong shadows. Yeah. So, again, in this court, Corey refused to plead. According to the law at the time, a person who refused to plead could not be tried. To avoid people cheating justice, 
the legal remedy for refusing to plead was pien fort and deer. In this process, prisoners were stripped naked and heavy boards were laid on their bodies. Then rocks or boulders were laid on the plank of wood. This was the process of being pressed. I'm sorry. So either you make a plea or you get pressed. Yes. Okay. As a result of his refusal to plea on September 17th, Corey was subjected to the procedure by Sheriff George Corwin. But he was steadfast in the refusal, nor did he cry out in pain as the rocks were placed on the border on the boards. After 2 days, Corey was asked 3 times to enter a plea, but each time he replied more weight. Fuck, what a man. <laughs> and the oh. sheriff compiled occasionally hmm? the sheriff complied complied compiled so i wrote is compiled <laughs> no i wrote complied <laughs> yeah <laughs> occasionally corwin would even stand on the stones himself robert kelf who was a witness along with two other townsfolk later said in the pressing giles Corey's tongue was pressed out of his mouth the sheriff, with his cane, would force it back in again. Oh my god, that's worse. Just leave his tongue out. Yeah. There are several accounts of Corey's last words. The most commonly told ones is that he repeated his request for more weight, passing away two days later on September 19th. Oh man. That is an awful way to die. Mm-hmm. I agree. Oh, holy fuck, though, like... That is like big freaking metal, right? Wait, <laughs> yeah. Um, so his I think was by far the worst. Yeah, I, I. And he wasn't even charged with witchcraft. He was arrested on accusations of witchcraft, but never charged or. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like to be fair, like I don't. I get it. I get it. This is a fucking ridiculous thing. Same with the family before the one whose pregnant wife lived. Yeah. Like, I mean, this guy was kind of believing that his wife was a witch, right? Yes. But still, as soon as, like, he realized, wait, everybody's being accused. Mm-hmm. This is some fucking bullshit. At least if I don't plead, then... I can just circumvent that whole... I don't want to hear the, about these little bitches telling everybody that I my shadows pinch them. So I think the word, like, the phrase that fits most perfectly here is if it smells like shit everywhere you go, maybe it's not the people around you. I, yes. So why is it the same, what, ten names keep coming up? I literally said that! I literally said that. Like, if everybody is being accused by these people of witchcraft, maybe they're the problem. Maybe they're the witches. Maybe. <sighs> hmm. Hmm. I don't know. So, the names of the remaining hanging victims. I would love to continue all of their stories. But in all honesty, it's all spectral evidence. It's all pinching. It's all biting. It's all the same thing of you know 
you stepped on my daffodil, so you're obviously a witch. Mm-hmm. You have a mole that looks like it could be a third nipple. You're obviously a witch. Like, mm-hmm. I can't. Mm-hmm. So the names of the remaining victims was Susanna Martin, who was hanged on August 19th, Sarah Wilds, George Jacobs Sr., Martha Carrier, John Willard, Martha Corey, and wife, oh, Martha Corey, who is the wife of Giles Corey. And she was hanged on September 22nd, three days after he was pressed to death. Wow. Mary Eastie, Mary Parker, Alice Parker, Anne Pudator, Margaret Scott, Samuel Wardwell Sr. Amid waning public support for the trials, Governor Phipps dissolved the court of Oyer and Terminer in October and mandated that its successor disregarded spectral evidence. Trials continued with dwindling intensity until early 1693. And by that, May Phipps had pardoned and released all of those imprisoned all of those in prison on witchcraft charges. In January of 1697, the Massachusetts General Court declared a day of fasting for the tragedy of the Salem witch trials. <laughs> okay, sorry, just you've pardoned all of these accused witches, but what are they returning to? Nothing. Because they sell it all. They, they yeah. seize it and sell it. Yeah. Because they're greedy bastards. And what kind of, like, I'm sorry, but if you're released and you finally manage to get a home and your neighbor finds out, oh, you were a witch? Like, what kind of, like, what kind of neighbors are you going to get? What kind of reception? Are you going to be able to get a work? Are you going to be able to remarry? Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, <clears throat> that's great. Thanks for the pardon, but... Yeah, I, yeah. So in January of 1697, the Massachusetts General Court declared a day of fasting for the tragedy of the Salem Witch Trials. The court later deemed the trials unlawful, and the leading Justice Samuel Sewall publicly apologized for his role in the process. The damage to the community lingered. However, even after the Massachusetts colony passed legislation restoring the good names of the condemned and providing financial restitution to their heirs in 1711. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what? Mm. 11? 14 years? It's too long. Yeah. The playwright, Arthur Miller resurrected the tale with his 1953 play the crucible (laughs) using the trials as a metaphor metaphor for the mccarthyism paranoia in the 1950s additionally numerous hypotheses have been explored to explain the strange behavior that occurred in salem in 1692 one of the most concrete studies published in science the book in 1976, by psychologist Linda Caporal, blamed the abnormal habits of the accused on the fungus ergo, which can be found in rye, wheat, and other cereal grasses. 
toxicologists say that eating ergo contaminated food can lead to muscle spasms, vomiting, delusions, and hallucinations. Okay. Also, the fungus thrives in warm and damp climates, not too unlike the swampy meadows of Salem Village, hmm. where rye was their staple grain during the spring and summer months. Hmm. In August 1992, to mark the 300th anniversary of the trials, noble laureate Ellie Weasel dedicated the Witch Trials Memorial in Salem. Also in Salem, the Peabody Essex Museum houses the original court documents and the town's most visited attraction, the Salem Witch Museum, which appears to the public's enthrallment with the 1692 hysteria. And that is the story of the Salem Witch Trials. Wow. <sighs> this was a rageful episode. Full of injustices and bullshittery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Once again, influential people fucking things up when they ate some bad moldy rye. Yeah. Okay. KKK. Not here for it. No. But we, you know, uprooted hundreds of people because of some little girl's screaming wolf. It's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Well, don't forget, they did have the very strong evidence of dreams. So. This is true. Like, fuck, that is ironclad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> well, I guess that wraps us up for W. Yes, thank you for sticking with us after this very long episode. We appreciate every single one of you that are listening. Yes, uh, we absolutely do. Um, don't forget, if you ever have an any suggestions, feel free to email us at creepy at gmail.com or you can go to our website, creepy.com and submit on our contact contact page yes and then in the next few weeks we are gonna have some really interesting news to share with you guys so we are super excited about that yes yes we're really excited about that okay well thanks for listening bye thanks for tuning in to see is for creepy we put out weekly episodes every tuesday going through the creepy alphabet Check out our website at acast.com slash C is for creepy or on Facebook at C is for creepy podcast or on Instagram at C for creepy podcast. If you have any questions, concerns or suggestions, please email us at C for creepy at gmail.com. Artwork done by Alexis Daly. Check out her work at L-E-X-X-A underscore artwork on Instagram. See you next week. Bye.